society has changed and our biology has not caught up right like it used to be true that women would have kids by 26 and you know get married and that was the path and i think society is still very prescriptive of especially for women like go to school graduate get job marry have kids and that's just not how it works anymore women are more discerning and their partners we're focusing on our careers and we just are taking more time as a species and our biology has not caught up with that Alyssa Atkins is the founder and CEO of Lilia, the most enjoyable egg freezing experience in the world. Lilia is on a mission to bring reproductive freedom to every woman by making egg freezing affordable, accessible, and convenient. Alyssa raised Lilia's first round of funding in five weeks with no product, no deck, no website, and went on to gain backing from Y Combinator, Silicon Valley's most prominent, probably most well-known investor. I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode. Let's get into it. (laughs) But I think I think we're good to go. Yay. Okay. Awesome. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much for being here. Super excited to have you on the Misfit Independent podcast. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, I'm super excited. Awesome. Okay. Well, today we're going to get into a lot of different things. I have a lot of questions ready. But before we get started... I want you to talk a little bit about your story and how you got to be a founder of a startup called Lilia and how you managed to get it onto Forbes, onto Elle, and just grow it into this amazing thing that it is. Don't forget Vogue. Vogue, yes. (laughs) We love Vogue. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I believe that like Lilia chose and pulled me rather than I decided to kind of do this thing. And Lilia was really born from my own experience. So I was with my high school sweetheart for 10 years. And we split up when I was 27. And that was the first that was the first time where just any sense of fertility actually came up in my mind and I started thinking about it at all. And it's funny because after a few years of this and talking to hundreds and hundreds of women, what we've learned is people think it's 30 when women start freaking out about this and what's actually true is around 27 is when women start thinking about the fertility and, you know, kind of what's next. My hypothesis has to do with approaching 30 and just like seeing it around the corner. So uh, shortly after that, I started dating someone who was four years younger than me. And so I just had had to start doing the dating math. Like, okay, if I want to have kids by the time I'm 35 was this number. Yeah. Exactly. Working backwards. Like Rachel from Friends. Literally. I had to be – and it got to the point where I was like, okay, I either need to break up with this guy or freeze my ex. And that's when I started looking into it. And what I learned was that the sooner you freeze your eggs, the more successful it is. And so I was around 28 when I started looking into this. And I was just like, I don't want to wait another month. Like if the younger you are, the better this works. Sign me up. Let's go today. And so I did. I froze my eggs when I was 29, when I eventually did it. And after I completed, I just felt this incredible freedom, like this huge burden lift from my shoulders. And I was like, is this how dudes feel? Just walking around the earth? Like they can just do whatever they want. And yeah. Turns out the answer is kind of yes. And uh, I also had seen, I had a bunch of friends who had frozen their eggs and nobody was talking about it. And it just kind of all started to piece together to me that like I started to believe that this is the future. And I 
I kind of was just mulling on the idea that I think in the future, women will freeze their eggs upon graduation. It'll be this symbolic moment of entering womanhood. They'll celebrate it with a party. I actually threw what I believe is the world's first egg securing celebration is what I called it. Like I had a big party. Yeah. As you would an engagement party or a a baby shower or a, a, a wedding shower, because it was this uh, extremely important and I felt prudent investment in myself. Why can't I celebrate myself for, you know, literally keeping all my options open, opening the doors to my future? So having gone through this process, I felt how arduous it was, how complicated, um, how I, I experienced how this process was built for IVF couples and not for young women who wanted to freeze their eggs. Um, I've heard horror stories of women who've gone to clinics being like, being 26 and wanting to freeze their eggs and well-known respected doctors telling them you should just go find a husband and get pregnant now right and so like that happened oh my god that literally happened and so I just I saw a world where this was this very I believe that it should be a much easier more affordable accessible experience that's celebrated as a part of womanhood um and really shifting it from something that you do in your late 30s as a last resort to something women do in their mid-20s as an investment in their future selves. Actually, and that was another thing I realized was I thought I was doing this for future me when I didn't realize how how much it would impact present me. Like this isn't even only for future Alyssa. If I never use these eggs, it still will have been an incredible investment because it changes how I feel and operate today. And so that was the experience that had me feel like I think I could build something that made egg freezing more accessible, affordable, easier for women. And damn, I better try. That's amazing. I love I love the fact that you had a party because I feel like when women do these big things like start businesses, right? Why don't we have like business showers? Why do we always celebrate these specific moments in life? So I love the fact that you celebrate it with your close friends. And I'm so surprised that you had friends that, that had frozen their eggs at that point because I mentioned this when we chatted earlier. I'm like deep in this process right now. In November, I'm actually freezing embryos and eggs and something we'll, we'll talk about and dive into like the differences. Um, but none of my friends have ever considered this process. So I want to ask you, what was that like talking to your friends about it and having them share their experiences? I think I was and am so exuberant about it um, that I really created a space for other people to feel excited and share their experience. And this is part of what I think needs solving is women were kind of doing the egg freezing process isolated and alone and quietly because there was this stigma that like, oh, if I'm freezing my eggs, is something wrong? Have I failed at something? And the honest to God truth is I remember having that moment myself. Like I am queen freeze your eggs, you know, (laughs) very firmly on this team. And yet I remember the first time I did it going through the process and giving myself these hormone injections and feeling like, did I fail at something? And this and this is what a lot of women feel and needn't, right? Like egg freezing is not something you do because you've failed at something. What all that's happened is society has changed and our biology has not caught up, right? Like it used to be true that women would have kids by 26 and, you know, get married. And that was the path. And I think society is still very prescriptive of, especially for women, like, go to school, graduate, get job, marry, have kids. And that's just not how it works anymore. Women are more discerning and their partners. We're focusing on our careers and we just are taking more time as a species and our biology has not caught up with that. And so 
talking to my friends and even women considering it now, a big emphasis is on this is something you do because you are prudent and want to keep all options open. And it's not something you do because you failed at something or you're behind. That's one of our learnings, again, in talking to hundreds and hundreds of women about this was no matter what age a woman was, no matter how successful what she had accomplished, everybody has the same narrative. By X age, I thought I'd have. By 30, I thought I'd be married with a kid. By 27, I thought I'd be partner. Like we all have this narrative and it's not ours. It's, you know, society's prescription of what a woman's life should look like. And I think egg freezing and what I talk to my friends about is this helps you bust out of that narrative and just really create our own lives, our lives on our own terms. Definitely. I, I love that you are rewriting that narrative. Yeah. And allowing people to remove these like arbitrary timelines that other people attach to us. Yeah. Um, where I was going with the friend question is when I mentioned this to my, my mom and uh, my fiance's mom, I think there's a lot of reprogramming that needs to happen with, you know, older generations because this is like newer, fairly newer technology, right? Although it's been around since the 80s. So when I mentioned this to to my mom, she was really, really concerned and upset with the fact that I was like looking into considering this because for her, that meant the timeline of me having kids was going to be pushed back. So did you experience anything like that? Or when you talk to women, how how is that rewiring process like? Yeah, I think it comes down to that same kind of narrative. Egg freezing is not part of the Disney fairy tale so far. Um, And it's not what our parents grew up with. Mm -hmm. And again, society has changed and our biology has not. And what I encourage people to reframe to their parents as is, this is making sure you get grandkids. Right. You're just going to have to wait a little bit. It might take a little while. Yeah. Um, But it's better than waiting to see. Um. And it being difficult later, like you are preserving the opportunity to have grandkids um, or you're preserving the opportunity to have kids on the timeline you want and ensuring that your parents are going to get them. Um, But it'll be on your timeline and not theirs. You get to take back that control. Yeah. And surely, you know, your your parents or anybody's who have concerns are coming at it from a place of love, Mm -hmm. you know. And as we shift this narrative and we see more women doing it younger and younger, Everybody else will adapt um, because really this is about you having control over your life on your terms, on your timeline. I love I love the way that you phrase that. But I want to go back to timelines. So mm. you launched, Leah, was it six years ago now? No. No. We launched in 2019. Okay. Why did I think I, I had six years remembered? But okay, 2019 is fairly, fairly recent. So that's awesome considering how far you've gone, you know, in the last three, four years. Um you talked a little bit about what sparked the idea. It was your own experience, you know, recognizing that there is a need and you wanted to help other women and you had this calling for it. How how did you go about actually bringing that vision to reality? Mm, many, many, many iterations. I think a lot of the stories we get told of successful companies are after uh, the stories have already been written and often history will be rewritten. And uh, a lot of companies will paint the straightest path And that is so not what happens. We've had so many iterations and um, are generally the process has been launch, talk to customers, iterate, launch, talk to customers, iterate. It's very helpful being our own customer because I can make a lot of decisions based on intuition. Um, 
But I remember the genesis, if you want the real OG day one story, was I was still at my full-time job. So I was the first growth hire at uh, and six person overall at a startup. Wow. And I had been there for four years and had, you know, we'd done we'd done really well. And I had had this experience where I was starting to think about my fertility and I felt this itch, like I had always identified as being a founder, or at least it was aspirational for me. That's what I wanted to do. And so I had felt this itch to go and start my own thing. And I remember I was still at my full-time job and I made a deal with myself that I was going to give myself a hundred non-zero days of experimenting with what my own company could be. And so I remember I would go to the coffee shop um, from six to 9 a.m., most mornings wow. and I would just tinker and I, I just had to make some progress, just non-zero progress to see. And at the end of that three months, I had done enough exploring of this idea that I felt confident to leave my job and pursue it. And I remember the very first version was I had put up a landing page kind of with an idea of what, what Lilia could be. And I had spent, I think, $200 on Facebook ads. Um, it was one Saturday night. I remember I built this landing page on like Unbounce or something. And I put $200 on Facebook ads and sent people to this landing page and had, um, it was kind of like a, what do they call it? A broken door or people would go to sign up and before they would put their credit card in, we would say, oh, you know, sorry, we're not live in your city or something. Okay. I remember it was such a good test strategy, by the way, to to gain awareness and yeah. not have to refund people because that's exactly and I didn't want to take their credit cards, like yeah. But what I what I got to see was how viable is this idea, and I remember going to bed that night, being like, well, I don't know what's going to happen, like probably nothing. And I woke up the next day and I saw all these signups, and that t- just to me gave me the confidence to keep pursuing it. And then as I had confidence and started talking to people about it. Um, they were really excited about it and started asking like to invest and to be customers and stuff. And so I find I'm the type where I'm really bad at lying. Like I have to actually believe it. And then once I do, I can have, I can make everybody else believe it. But running those tests in the early days gave me the confidence to leave my job, to really pursue this full time. And uh, so you left your job pre-revenue. Pre-revenue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that's commitment. That's like really (laughs) being able to see a problem and knowing and like truly believing that you can solve it. So hats off to you. It felt like I had to. It felt like I had to try and solve it. And fortunately, I had in these conversations, right? So I had launched this fake door test. I started talking to people about it. And again, I would just tell them the story of what happened. And I was so confident and excited that they started asking if I was raising money and could they invest? And so I was able to raise a little bit of money when I left my job. So it wasn't like I was jumping off totally blind. Although about six months before I left my job, I started saving a lot so that I could give myself some timeline to test out this idea. Um, and it, if it didn't work, I'd have some cushion, which is actually really cute to think back about now because here we are three years later, um, a product that women really love that's doing well and helping people. But it really started so small, just like, small iterations each day that's the the best way that you can explain like an entrepreneur's journey you know it's definitely not linear it's not a to b like i know this with some of the businesses that i've run like the product that you start off with and the product that you have like 
four or five years later they don't they're not even like they don't resemble each other they're not related yeah it's absolutely awesome to hear kind of how you went about that and the fact that you know you stayed and you you gave yourself a timeline of a hundred days um shows a lot of discipline and commitment and you know for anybody that wants to start something new that doesn't have the time you know you wake up three hours earlier and you know you have so many more hours in a week that was really it it was like how can I just make a little bit of progress? The non-zero was a commitment. Sometimes it would just be, I would spend those couple hours reading articles about a topic or send one email, but just making a little bit of progress really compounds. I love compound interest. We talk about that all the time on the channel. So I yeah. love that you brought that up, um, but it's, it's incredible. So you were working on this part-time, um, giving yourself the time and space to figure out exactly where it was going to go. Then you started raising money. And I think that's a really exciting chapter in a founder's life as well, because, you know, being a woman going after venture capital money is really difficult. So what kind of challenges did you have throughout that phase? And do you have any lessons or anything that you want to share? Honestly, the first thing I would share is not to focus on being a woman raising venture capital. Like I, especially given the my work, reproductive freedom is our mission for every woman you have to be a woman, I think, to make this work. And the industry generally and the people as a part of it are so sick of white Stanford dudes running women's health companies. <laughs> We're over it. Yeah. And so to me, I think in some ways this was an advantage, especially because I am our customer. Um, and so I didn't really think about I'm a woman raising venture capital. What I thought about was there's this problem I see. I think the market is huge. I've tested demand for it. I think I am the person put on this planet to solve this problem. And I used any kind of FOMO tactics with investors anybody else would use, right? Like sharing that story and then being like, we're going to the moon. Are you going to miss out on this, you know, or or aren't you? It's probably true. Some people have passed on us because I'm a woman. Like that probably has happened. (laughs) Going to the moon. I agree. And I just don't think about it. And I think if I have to do 130 pitches for every 100 a white guy needs to do, fine. That sucks, but fine. Um, and so I think you can get really caught up in your mind of like, oh, this is so hard for me. It's hard, period. Yeah, it's probably it's probably harder for you. But what do you want? You know, if what you want is to, well, what at least what I thought is, what I want is to build this dream And I focused on being confident and talking to the right people who were aligned with me, believed in me and where I was going. And that helped a lot. I think if I had been stuck in my head about, oh, it's hard for me because I'm a woman. It's already hard enough. The whole thing, looping on the things that make it hard are more emotionally and mentally taxing. I really have been trying to shift my own mindset into what's working. How do I do more of that? Because as you know, you know, as a founder, managing your own mentality is everything. 86% of the game. Yeah. And I'm so happy that you brought that that up because when when I mentioned it, even when I was like asking the question, I thought to myself, okay, well, that's a victim mentality, right? And you're going into that loop rather than thinking about, you know, even though all these odds might be stacked against you, it's how are you going to break free from them? Yeah. And like a, f- a friend uh, of mine, Joanna, Griffith from NYX. She is such a good example. She just had- She's a trailblazer. Like She she just had the biggest exit of any Canadian female founder. I know she went through damn hell 
to raise as much money as she did. People told her she was a niche company. They weren't going to fund a mom of new twins. Right? We should, like, we should clarify like what that exit was like because it was it was a three hundred million dollar exit of her company Nix. Huge, right, yeah. Joanna? We love you. We honor thee. Yeah. And I've never heard her complain. Like I'm sure she felt it. I'm sure she blatantly was discriminated against. Someone said to her, I don't want to be the last money in before mom goes and has twins. Yeah. Horrendous. I remember, I remember reading about that. Disgusting, right? Yeah. That's what she went up against and it did not stop her. She she trailed on. And I think not that what I'm not pursuing Lilia because I want to be some like female trailblazer. I just want to bring this um, solution to the women of the world. But as women are successful i think it helps other women be more successful women like joanna we all look up to and she helps blaze the trail for all of us and those are the kinds of things i try to instead focus on i i love the way that you phrased that i want to talk a little bit about the successful women piece because when i think about egg freezing and i, I want to get into the details and the costs because i'm sure people are very very curious about that as well so i want to get into all of that but before we go there what are the benefits for somebody that is entrepreneurial or is goal oriented let's let's phrase it that way for somebody that you know is more focused on their career at the moment and doesn't want to think about child rearing why why would you want to consider egg freezing egg freezing buys you time to do whatever you want a lot of people believe that women freeze their eggs because of their careers this is true about 15% of the time about 80 to 85% of the time, it's to buy time in love. And there are very lucky people like you who have found their partner and, very young, yeah. you know, and are living the happily ever after. And that's beautiful. And the other reality is dating is very different. Um, it's harder in many ways. And we're just taking longer to meet our partners. And what egg freezing buys you is optionality and time. I have this saying, we haven't officially made it the tagline of the company, but I believe it to be true is like, okay, this feels a little trite, but it's like, if you imagine every woman as a queen, queens don't rush. Have you ever seen Queen Elizabeth rush? Rest no. her soul. Queens don't rush. And I think women being able to take their time gives women opportunity to do more of whatever the hell they want and that the world could use more women doing whatever the hell they want. And so what egg chills like I love that. <laughs> what egg freezing does is it preserves your eggs at the age they are now, such that you can use them later if and when you want to. And what it does is it removes that pressure, that nagging in the back of your mind of the biological clock. We feel it. It it sucks. I hate. I I hate it. I feel like every woman experiences that. We all do. We all feel it whether we admit it or not this it's a nagging and it's quiet but it's there it's it's like a dull consistent ache and it whether we realize it or not affects our decisions to take risks in our careers uh it affects who we choose and when i'm 32 and my former partner and i split up just over a year ago and i have taken the last year to be with myself this is something i was terrified by, by the way, I had never spent extended periods of time alone. I didn't know how to enjoy myself. And I took, and for some of that, it has been a celibate sabbatical 
to understand what do what does it feel like to be with myself? How do I actually learn to love and give myself what I need? And as a result, I can I can say I am no longer attracted to emotionally unavailable men. Really, truly, I know how done the healing. I've done the healing. And I need I, someone who's healed as well. Exactly. Yeah. Bring me my king. But I'm not. And, and so it it has changed who I am attracted to, what kinds of things I will tolerate and accept because I learned to love myself first. And it sounds a little woo and hokey, but it really has been the truth. No, it's a big, it's a big thing, right? Like you accept the kind of love that you think that you deserve. So when you heal yourself first and you're, you're telling your partner, this is how I want to be loved. And you set that standard. Yeah. And I notice it, especially with women in dating, you're not going on every first date being like, okay, are you baby daddy? Because yeah. I need to know now. Because if not, I don't, I'm not going to waste my time with you. I need, and men feel that pressure. And so it gives you the time to take your time in career and love. In life, you don't have to rush. I love like all of that, all of that. Queens don't rush. Queens don't rush. Queens don't rush. But I wanted to mention like in terms of risk, the way that women make decisions 100% is affected by, you know, all these subconscious thoughts and women in general are way more risk averse. And if they are moving into a phase where they're starting to think about fertility, they become even more risk averse because it's like, you know, the subconscious feeling of nesting and wanting to prepare a nest egg so it affects their financial decisions as well yeah like if i were thinking about i need to ha- i need to that's the difference right i need to have kids in the next two years or else i think i would be making different career decisions now and granted so much stress and pressure it's so much pressure that's yeah. what egg freezing is it takes the pressure off granted let me say if you can it is better to have kids sooner right like for all kinds of reasons, but um, ideally, in an ideal world, if you could, you know, paint with a magic brush, sure, have kids sooner if you can. However, it is not a decision to be rushed, and um, egg freezing just buys you more time to make that decision. Hundred percent. That's why I'm doing it. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. what had tell like what had you decide to do this ultimately? So I'll tell you a little bit about my story. Like, you okay. know, me and my partner have been together for 10 years. He just proposed in December, which is super exciting. Um, but we want to have a big family. We want to mm. have like five kids, at least three, but ideally five. And so doing the math, counting backwards, thinking about what age I need to start having children. It's pretty soon uh, if I want to make time and have all five naturally. So I started thinking about it and I realized I don't have the, the luxury of that. You know, I'm 27 now. I Physically, the math doesn't add up. So I've decided um, to start looking into egg freezing. And what we're doing is we're freezing embryos because I know that this is my life partner. But at the same time, nothing in life is guaranteed. And so the reason why I'm freezing eggs as well is just to have that extra added security. Smart woman. That is very smart um, because I share with folks, you know, when I was with my partner who was younger than me we were together for three years and i was all but certain this was my dude we talked about freezing embryos thank god we did not because you just never know even with even when you know you just never you don't know. always know yeah yeah and so if you were to freeze embryos and for folks who don't know embryos is egg fertilized with sperm you just you can't undo that and so god forbid you know things don't work out you don't have access to those embryos and you touched on something that a lot of um, a lot of people do, but not a lot of folks are aware of, 
is freezing eggs for babies number two and three, or in your case, five, five. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly what the plan is. Yeah. Yeah. So some people will think, okay, I want to have, you know, two or three kids and I'm going to start when I'm 33. It's like, okay, great. So you start when you're 33, you have it by the time you're 34. If you get- If everything works If everything goes well. In the fastest refractory period, you're then pregnant again by 35, have the next one by 36. You may be looking at 38 when you're having baby number three. And so freezing eggs for babies two and three is extremely prudent and just, again, gives you options. If and Okay, what are the reasons not to freeze your eggs? If you are under 32, under 30, and you want one kid and you want them soon, don't freeze your eggs, probably. I mean, if you do a cost-benefit analysis, right, you right. know. If you're going to – if you want one baby and you want them in the next year or two, probably you're don't. be fine, probably, yeah. But it depends on when, when you're starting, right? Like fertility-wise, women under 30 – their chance of getting pregnant every every cycle is 25%. And then that drops to, what, 20% after they're 30? So after 30, definitely that's when things get a little bit more tough. I think people – yeah, this is important for us to touch on because we all ha- – I think we have in our minds this number 35. I'll be fine until I'm 35. Here's the thing that people don't, talk, don't know about. Egg freezing clinics will not accept donor eggs over 30. What does this tell us about the quality of eggs? right? Like we know after 30, this diminishes. A surprising number of women have what's called diminished ovarian reserve in their late 20s, early 30s. So we see women who come in at 28 thinking, you know, they're ahead of the game and hell yeah, they are. And they realize they have diminished ovarian reserve. And now egg freezing is an emergency, right? And maybe I can clarify what diminished ovarian reserve is. So we're born with all the eggs we're ever going to have. Over time, the quality and quantity of those eggs diminishes. So what happens is every month, our body releases a crew of eggs from the vault of all these eggs that we have. So every month, our body releases a crew of these eggs. It pops one egg into the fallopian tube to meet a sperm, and the rest of those eggs die off inside your body. So people think, oh, every month I lose one egg. No, you lose tons of them. Wow. I had no idea. Like, I've been looking into this, and like, you're you're blowing my mind. Okay. It's very much a use it or lose it situation. What egg freezing does is it goes in, you give yourself these hormones for about 10 days and it uh, tells that crew of eggs, don't die, we're going to come get you. So these are eggs that you'd have lost anyway, which also addresses the concerns some women have about um, does freezing my eggs mean I'm borrowing from my future fertility? No, these are eggs that were going to die. You are saving them and preserving them for later. Um, and so with diminished ovarian reserve, it means that process has been either you've had, were born with a fewer number of eggs or that process has been accelerated. And so there's no marker of quality for eggs other than age. So full stop, the younger you are, the higher quality your eggs are, which means there's uh, lower risks of genetic abnormalities, mm-hmm. genetic abnormalities, um, lead to disorders if kids are born and they also lead to increases in miscarriage. So um, that's why you want eggs as young as possible because there are fewer gen- fewest genetic abnormalities and you have the most of them. Ideally, when when would you want to start looking into this? I think in the future, women are going to freeze their eggs at 22 coming out of college and that that is the ideal age. Like The younger, the better, generally. Uh, you're not too late if you're 27, 28, 29, 30, but the sooner you freeze your eggs, full stop, the healthier those eggs will be. 
And here's why it matters. In any given cycle, again, you're, you'll give yourself these hormones to tell that crew of eggs, don't die, we're going to come get you. Um, in that retrieval process, you may retrieve anywhere from 10 on average to 30 on the high end of number of eggs. Let's say for easy math, you get 20. That is not 20 babies, as some people have, have thought. I even thought that at first. Great, I got 20 eggs, I have 20 babies. No, it's a, you can imagine it like a funnel. So there's the number of eggs retrieved, and then not all of those eggs retrieved will make it to being frozen and surviving being thawed. Not all eggs that are thawed will survive being fertilized with sperm. Not all of those eggs fertilized with sperm will survive genetic testing. And not all of those uh, embryos that are genetically tested will survive being planted in the uterus turning into a live baby. And so you can imagine 20 eggs might be two babies if you're under 30. As we age, that funnel sharpens. So if you're 27, 20 eggs might be 20 babies. If you're 34, 20 eggs might be one or zero, right? So that's why you want to get them as soon as you feasibly can, because you'll have more eggs and they'll be healthier. So more of those eggs will make it to a baby at the end. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I love the visual of the funnel too, yeah, getting smaller. Exactly. Um, definitely. Okay. So not to scare anybody that's over the age of 30. Certainly not. God, no. This is really all to inform and never to scare. I, I refuse to put pressure on women, right? Like we're selling freedom. And so the last thing I'm going to do is make you feel pressure. You've already got it yeah. from everywhere else in your life. But I feel it behooves us to inform women of the truth. And, you know, people ask when's the best age to freeze your eggs. And a lot of clinics or doctors will answer with financials in mind. Well, if you're 37, that's when you're most likely to come and use them. I think the fallacy around that is that, again, that egg freezing is only for future you. When you factor into the way egg freezing changes how present you can behave, make decisions and careers love like we talked about, um, the sooner you can do it, the better. Of course, it can be cost prohibitive. And that's, you know, we should talk about that. Um, when I froze my eggs the first time, I was on the cusp of feeling like I wanted to be a founder, right? So this was, it was not an insignificant investment. And I took out a low interest line of credit to basically give myself a, a, my own little baby loan um, because I knew, I just knew I wanted to do it. I wasn't going to have kids soon. I wanted the option later. I actually didn't even know if I wanted kids for sure, but I wanted the option. And so there fortunately are a bunch of financial tools out there to help folks. Um, and that's the reason if anybody says egg freezing, do it later, it's because they feel there's a risk you might not use them. That's true. It really depends on how you want to feel today. And rant. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's really smart that you brought up the fact that you had given yourself this little baby loan. I think the biggest reason why women don't do this is because of the misconceptions around cost, where where they think it's a lot more expensive than it actually is. A lot of women don't know that there's employer benefits that cover it. So one of the reasons why I started looking into this is I found out that my new employer has a very, very helpful coverage plan. Um, and that's what sparked, you know, I always had this thought that it's something I want to do, but that was really the big catalyst. Cost-wise, people take out massive loans to go to school, especially in the States, right? And yes, going to university, going to college is something that helps propel your career, but having children 
for most women is something that we dream about and think about and it's such a massive part of life so to limit yourself from that experience because of cost i think is not a wise move one of our customers i love the way she said it so she's 28 she came to freeze her eggs she realized through the process that she had diminished ovarian reserve which means she had to do two cycles to feel she had uh, enough eggs that she felt her her bet was properly hedged and she was um she was proselytizing to one of her friends so i was not even a part of this she told us this after and her friend was deciding between freezing her eggs or buying a condo and this customer said to her friend you're gonna need you're gonna buy a condo and you're gonna want to put a baby in it so make sure you can put a baby in it you know so and you can always buy a condo you can always buy a condo um and i understand there's you know market being opportunistic in the market and a condo feels more um tangibly valuable today if you're not already feeling that pressure um but what we do see is women who come back when they're 35 36 they're like i wish someone had told me to do this at 30 because when they're coming back at 35 36 they're probably having to do two cycles right like to make it through that enough eggs through that funnel that they're going to be able to have at least one baby later and they all wish they'd done it sooner on on that note about the funnel you mentioned it's cycles and you mentioned ivf and hormones walk, walk us through what the steps are if you're looking to freeze your eggs if you're looking to freeze embryos and then the cost associated with each kind of segment so that we can we can look at what the costs look like on a you know broad spectrum perfect so the first thing i would say is People have the wrong. People think egg freezing is months and months because that we that's what we see happen with IVF. Egg freezing is two weeks, twelve to fourteen days. You can do anything for two weeks, uh, is what one of my friends said to me. <laughs> um, so here's what happens: for two weeks, you're going to give yourself these hormone injections. Sounds scarier than it is. What these hormones are doing is mostly mostly. Um, well, I won't get into what the actual hormones are. It doesn't really matter. But mostly what you're doing for these two weeks is giving yourself these hormone injections that tell, remember that crew of eggs, don't die, don't ovulate, we're going to come and get you. And so uh, what this looks like is you basically will grab your tummy fat, you'll poke it with a little needle. Sounds scary because we're programmed not to want to poke ourselves with sharp objects. Um, and so it's more of a mental game. And you'll wonder to yourself, how are they trusting me with this? I should not be trusted with this, um, but I promise you're fine. You can do it. Millions of women do. And so you'll do that for about 10 to 12 days. During that 10 to 12 days, you'll also go into the clinic for about three to five appointments. So plan for it, you know, every few days. And they're going to do blood work and what's called a vaginal ultrasound. So it'll be a probe in your vagina where they go up and they look at your ovaries. And what they're doing is seeing how your body is responding to these hormones. Because this is where kind of the art meets science is you want to give enough hormones that these eggs will will grow, that you can get as high a number as possible without hurting you. Like the main risk of egg freezing is something called OHSS, ovarian hyperstimulation. It's more common in young women. And you want to try and avoid that while maximizing the number of eggs. So that's what these appointments are doing. That's what these hormones are doing. Um, during that two-week period, there are some lifestyle changes, no heavy exercise, so no like 
hit classes, even no yoga. berries boot camp. No berries for two weeks, and the reason is because your ovaries are going to be quite enlarged, right? They're they're hosting more eggs than they're used to at once. And so um, the ovary sits on a really thin little string, you could say. And so if you're twisting, the ovary could topple on itself. This would be bad. So you're going to be nice to your body for a couple of weeks. Um, no exercise, no sex generally for the same reasons. Yeah. You don't want ovaries toppling. And you'll avoid any marijuana for that time as well. And Alcohol the- is okay? Alcohol is typically okay. Like if you can avoid it, it won't hurt to avoid it, but don't get wasted yeah but you can have like a glass of wine here and there the cannabis side is is really interesting so when i have been uh in appointments like with my fertility doctor she's asking all these different lifestyle choices and then there was the question of if you smoke and um you know it's it's something that a lot of people indulge in but i was just curious as to why all these questions are in the questionnaire and she's saying that for for people that use cannabis for the sperm side so because again i'm going through the embryo process sperm is mutated and it's like drastically affected by cannabis and the fact that it it makes your sperm lazy it can change the shape and the actual sperm count as well so if there are any men listening to this that's something that you should be aware of 100 percent yeah and if you do use cannabis regularly thc especially they'll advise you to come off for three months before um and then for those two weeks i would say everybody has different symptoms Typically, rule of thumb is whatever you get for um, PMS is probably what you'll get. So sharing TMI, I'm happy to do. Um, I know for me, it's like I get bloated, my boobs really hurt, um, I'm much more tired, and that's those are kind of my symptoms, and everybody's different. But you should expect to feel like a little bloated, your boobs are probably going to be a little sore, you're going to be a little bit more tired. Hopefully not more irritable. That's something that I've been, mm. you know, really, really conscious of. You might be. Honestly, you might be for two weeks because it's just it's tiring. Um, on the flip side of that, though, I will say I have never felt more connected to my body than in those two weeks. I feel I learned so much about it. And I remember the night before my retrieval, just laying on my bed and having my hands on my, you know, ovaries, womb, this area. And feeling like these are my future son or daughter in here. Yeah. And I remember going for the retrieval and feeling like I was going to miss them, you know? And so it just felt like I was growing something that could eventually be my child. So that actually felt really, really quite nice. So two weeks, hormones, clinic appointments, PMS symptoms. And then they do the retrieval. Yes. And then you're going to go in for the retrieval. Uh, somewhere between you know twelve and day twelve and fourteen, sometimes fifteen. And if you're in Canada, they will give you a fantastic cocktail of drugs. Um, I did my first retrieval in Canada, and I remember. Um, well, I don't remember it. What they told me after was that I was singing happy birthday to my eggs as they were coming out. Like, I was just having a time. I don't remember any of this. I didn't feel any of it. They should have filmed you. That's hilarious. Yeah, they. Uh, that was pretty funny. Um, if you're in the U.S., they'll give you light anesthetic, so you you won't you shouldn't feel or remember any of it. And what they do is they go in through the vagina with a probe, and, or with a needle, needle rather, and they go up to the ovaries and they vacuum out the eggs out of these follicles. So that's the retrieval. So no cutting, no incisions. It's a 15-20 minute procedure, 
And then you will go home and you'll sleep off the rest of the day. The rite of passage is McDonald's french fries because you'll need really salty foods. And that the day of the retrieval is actually the only day you need to take off work. Every Everything else you can uh, pretty much work as usual. Most women are back on their feet the next day. Um, some, pe- some people just take a little bit longer to recover, a little bit more sw- swollen or bloated, or they just take a few extra days. And you can resume all normal activities, sex, exercising with your next period, which is usually around a week after. So yeah, it's two weeks. It's one retrieval. It's about 15 minutes. You take a day to just sleep it off and recover. And then you have secured eggs. Um, Now, what does the embryo process look like? They just fertilize the egg pretty much. Yeah. So what happens with embryo process is, um, so same kind of thing. So same, same egg retrieval. Everything about that is the same. The difference with embryos is once those eggs are retrieved, they'll fertilize them with sperm. So there's usually two ways women do this. One is with a partner they know. The other we've seen a bunch of is with a sperm donor. And so uh, when you're freezing embryos, you'll retrieve the eggs in the same way I described. You'll fertilize them with whichever sperm you like. Those embryos will grow in a lab for a few days, and then they'll be genetically tested. And so the difference is with embryo freezing, you know kind of a priori how much further along the funnel your eggs have gone, right? And so you can freeze then that genetically tested embryo. With eggs, they're so fragile. They're single cell that if you test them, you break them. Mm -hmm. And so you can't test them ahead of time. That's why age becomes so important because that's the best test we have for quality. So that's the main difference. And then IVF is the insertion of that embryo. So um, people who are doing IVF, they'll go through this whole process. The difference is they're trying to get pregnant now. So they'll put the embryo in their body uh, imminently. Yeah, with us egg and embryo freezers, we want to use these embryos later so we, they're stored in liquid nitrogen is how they're frozen. And then when you want to implant them, you'll come back later and have them uh, implanted in your uterus. So big question that I had is how long are eggs and embryos viable for? So when you store them, how long do you store them for? We believe forever. Okay. So there was um, legislation in the UK that put a limit on, on 10 years. And the scientists were like, this is nonsense. We know they're good for more than 10 years. Why are you limiting women's um, viability to use these? And so I think it actually just got struck down. Um, and so as far as we can tell, they're, they are good forever. They are suspended at that age. Um, one more important thing to call out about this is that our uterus, like a uterus can carry children for much longer than an egg is. Um, how can I say this? Uteruses have a longer lifespan than eggs. Yeah, that's a really good way to say it. So, um, you know, if you freeze 26-year-old eggs and you put them in a 40-year-old uterus, you have the benefit of 26-year-old eggs. Like a a uterus can still carry at 40, whereas eggs are the more precarious of the two. I didn't know that. That's really, really cool to to hear. Yeah. So, okay, costs. So um, what I can tell you is uh, typically it depends. Okay. It depends on the city, on the clinic, right? So typically for embryo freezing, you're looking at twenty-two dollars to $25,000. Egg freezing, you're looking at ten dollars to $15,000. Um, if I may, with Lilia, we spent the last couple of years figuring out how we can cut those costs down. And so with Lilia, it's nine k flat and embryo freezing is $15,800, I think. Um, and part of part of those costs are the medications and the clinic 
And I would really implore people not to be mistaken by a more expensive clinic or rather not conflating a more expensive clinic with better quality. We've not seen that in the results. And um, I know for a fact that some clinics will purposely charge more as a mar- like as marketing positioning. Yeah. And so um, that's what it costs. <laughs> and a lot, uh, especially in the US, there's tons of financing. Like there are fertility, egg freezing and IVF specific companies that do very close to 0% financing. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. That like that doesn't exist. So that is that's really really awesome. Um, we we're talking about the fact that they're viable forever. One of the big costs that I was looking at is the actual freezing and keeping them stored. So there are storage fees. How, do you know how that differs between like majority of my audiences in the U.S. or Canada? So what does that breakdown look like? Yeah. So you're gonna you know if let's say let's say on the least expensive side, say you're doing it with us. It's nine thousand for egg freezing. 15 and change for embryo freezing. Storage is then between $800 and $1,000 a year. So it actually works out to be the cost of a monthly phone bill, basically. When you break it down like that, it's, it, you know, it's pretty impactful. The fact that it's money that you spent, like, think about how many women do a Zara haul or, you know, spend hundreds of dollars on clothes that they wear three times. And this is preserving your future fertility. Oh, yeah. When I get my egg freezing storage bill, I'm like, great. There's, it's my, that's the cost of my freedom. Yeah. And that's priceless. I would say. I, I have spent money on way worse things than egg freezing or my storage. That's for sure. So when I put it in the context of what this is buying me now, the freedom I feel to, like I said, take my time to me, it's been money extremely well spent. I, I have to agree. <laughs> um, you talked a little bit about what Lilia can offer from a cost perspective, but I want to dive into what what your core offering is. So walk me through what else Lilia can help with. Yeah. The main reason people use Lilia, they tell us, are three reasons. One, cost, although to my surprise, that's not the number one reason. Two is convenience and ease. And three is support. So if you're not using Lilia... Um, you will have to call or email a clinic. It'll take a couple of business days for them to get back to you. You probably have to wait a few months just to get a consult. I've been there and I've done that and it is a long process. It took me nine months from the time I inquired to the time I froze my eggs. Um, with Lilia, you can lit- you can freeze your eggs, be done with the process sooner than you can get a consult anywhere else. So we are experts in um, removing all of the cognitive load, administrative, scheduling, uh, anything non-medical from your plate and making this as smooth as humanly possible for you. So we uh, get you in faster with the top doctors. We schedule your appointments for you. Anything that can be pre-scheduled is. Um, and you get answers over text within hours versus waiting days for a clinic to call you back or email you. That's huge. Think about the emotional side of this experience, right? Like for, for a woman to be going through this, being able to hear back instantly for questions that is invaluable people have been really happy and i think this is already a difficult decision to make by the time you're getting close to the starting line you've already thought and felt a lot of things and so our intention is to make this process for you um one where you really only need to worry about taking the best care of yourself for these two weeks right not calling and playing phone tag with clinics or like trying to schedule and so what we hear people say is that we made it easy for them to get over the hump to stop procrastinating to just say put this on autopilot for me 
And so that's what we do in addition to the cost. And then we find, especially for women who don't know people who've gone through the process, we end up being a really critical emotional support for them. Some people will have a small group of friends who've done it and they can text them and lean on them for support during the two weeks. It ends up being kind of an emotional time. You know, you're hopped up on these hormones. You're already feeling, um, you probably already feel some type of way about doing this. And so for some women, they they value more than anything the support. Like you will have someone, there's someone on the other end of a text line that's a human who's been through the process who can guide you through every step so that you don't feel alone or lost at any point. That's awesome. So you're really, you're building a community around, you know, this whole process and this experience. And that's amazing to feel like you're not going through it alone, that you have other women. And it it goes back to that first point that you made about feeling there's something wrong with you, that you messed up. So to have a community of women that are there that know exactly what you're going through is so, so, so important. Yeah. And like you're in good company. These are badass women freezing their eggs. You know, we were looking at, we, were, we, we featured some of our members and one of them, I didn't even realize when we were helping her through, but after during the spotlight, she shared she's one of Vogue's top 25 most influential women. You know, like she shared that title with Dua Lipa and Meghan Markle. Like, so, these are just casual. Just, I know. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I would say with, like, with Lilia, it's the most enjoyable egg freezing experience in the world it's going to be much more convenient much more supported you're going to be lost less and you're going to save a a lot of money in the process for some people you know it's using lilia they can do two cycles for the price of one somewhere else just because you know some clinic is marking up the cost to try and position themselves as a leader that you know from a cost perspective saves women a ton of money so the offering that you've put together is incredible you're doing amazing things and you know really living out that mission that you set out to do so it's it's awesome to see how far you've built your company from 2019 to now like the growth is amazing it means a lot to hear you say that i think it very much is a labor of love and startups are excruciatingly difficult um and the moments what's got me through in really hard moments is feeling like i want to see this in the world more women deserve access to this. I think we'll have a better society if more women feel they have time to do whatever they want. Because it's the freedom to then, you know, go out and build awesome things, to be founders who are going to change the world, to work in companies that are changing the world. So it, it, it really does buy people freedom. And I love the way that you phrase that. But let's have one last question for you. Okay. So it's called the Miss Independent Podcast, Miss Financially Independent. So I want to ask you, what does being financially independent mean for you? And how has egg freezing helped you do that? Mm, What does being financially independent mean for me? The first thing that came to my mind is that like, I don't depend on a man, you know? And to me, being financially independent and being reproductively free has raised the bar for the types of men I date. Um, Again, I find myself unattracted to emotionally unavailable men, intolerant of negging or people who aren't, of people who are treating me as anything other than an absolute queen. And as a result, I think this will lead to a better relationship, a more stable parent partnership for my future children, um, because I don't need anything from anybody else right? Like part of this year alone, soul searching really 
and meeting my soul, I feel, has been learning to give myself everything I need. That's financial independence, emotional stability, meaning and purpose, love. And when I have all of those things independently, um, choosing a partner becomes a matter of who I prefer and not somebody I need. And I think that lets me really raise my bar. I love that. It's like um, I heard I heard this the other day about how you have to build a home within yourself first and then the right person will come into your life. I really believe that. Home is inside and I've, I just have experienced it. The more I have gotten to know myself and so love myself, um, the more I find I am attracting people who are in a, either in alignment or quickly repelling those who aren't. I think that's a you know, a beautiful note to end this off at. There's so many amazing lessons in here just from the hustle and grind of, you know, committing to non-zero, giving yourself a hundred days of discipline, talking about all the benefits that egg freezing can do for, for women. So the biggest takeaway that I took from this is that queens don't rush. I queens don't rush. <laughs> Listen, this was awesome. Thank you so much this for This was so on. fun. I really had a blast. Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Alyssa Atkins, the founder of Lilia, as much as I did. And if you found this episode helpful, insightful, if you learned something new, I would love it if you could share it with a friend or anybody who also might find it insightful. It also mean the world to me if you left me a review on either the Spotify podcasts app or on Apple. Until next week, ciao.